Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. This is Mike Zlatnik, Big Mike, and today we're going to talk about inflation, inflation, inflation. Are we close to the peak of the inflation rate? Is the recession already here or around the corner? And how folks could hedge against inflation and recession? Essentially, where to deploy fresh capital uh, to protect against both of those elements? Uh, we'll go to the wonderful disclaimer. This presentation is for informational educational purposes only. Uh, we don't give advice of any kind. Uh, if you're interested in a family of funds, uh, request PPM for each fund, private place memorandum to accredited investors only. Consult your attorney or CPA professional before making any investment decisions. So let's jump into the presentation. So economic contraction cycle has already started. It's pretty obvious. We talked about this in the past and we're talking about it now. So we're in a bear stock market and that's typically precedes the business cycle contraction, which is effectively recession. So two quarters of negative GDP uh, is a technical definition of a recession. So we're seeing already that the uh, market's Stock market obviously has already gone through a correction and it's still on the way down. It's sort of a falling knife now. It's not done. Can it stop soon? It can, but it can also keep going down. But the business cycle is going down and we are observing a high inflation combined with a, uh, the fact that the Fed has to write, or rise interest rates to fight the inflation. And that's going to uh, hurt the con consumer spending and push the economy into a further recession as a result of that. So we'll uh, talk about that in just a minute. So let's look at the inflation rate. And as you can see here on the left graph, the inflation has been really creeping up since October of last year. It's been sort of on the acceleration path. Remember, inflation is measured as a rate relative to the previous year. So it's a year-to-year -year change in the cost of goods and services. This is what the CPI index typically measures. So the inflation rate has been accelerating um, and uh, it took a brief pause in April and it's still accelerating uh, into, uh, into the second half of the year. The latest print was 9.1% for um, the last data point. But if you look at a, at a much larger picture, at basically uh, much longer time horizons from uh, this is the graph on the right. Inflation rate over a period of uh, many years. And here we're going from even prior to 2000. Inflation has, has, hovered, has, uh, has, has been hovering in the 2 to 3% range for many, many, many years. And the, the Fed has set the target to be 2 to 3%. It may be sort of uh, where that, that, that's where it's been. And that's kind of stable prices. So U.S. economy has, has seen stable prices for many years. Although we've seen the recession, for example, 2008 recession, you could see inflation fell and turn into negative. But in general, um, it's been pretty stable over uh, many, many, many years in the 2 to 3% range. Now, COVID changed the world. The pandemic has uh, obviously caused a massive devastation, loss of life, but it also disrupted 
the entire world and the economies for many, many countries. So um, we'll talk about the drivers of inflation. Obviously, one of them is broken supply chain and um, uh, basically our reliance on globalization has caused us to experience very substantial inflation when the producing countries have shut down. So, But the, the rate has seen the rapid escalation from the start of COVID all the way through now. And uh, are we done? And here uh, are a few possible projections what inflation can go from here on. Uh, can it continue to climb at a pretty rapid pace, exceeding 10% uh, rate? It certainly can. Uh, it can go even higher. Uh, are we going to see that rapid inflation that we saw in the uh, 70s and 80s? Uh, it's it's possible, certainly. We, we're, we're still, we haven't seen the, the peak of the inflation yet, although we may be approaching a peak, at least in my opinion. So again, can we see a rapid rise from here? We certainly can. Can we also see inflation sort of suddenly turn around and start falling off the cliff and going down? It's a theoretical possibility, but not a likely scenario. So what is more likely a sort of a few scenarios where inflation will uh, start slowing down the growth of the inflation. Uh, it may also flatline or even start retreating at a measured pace uh, or slow pace. And the reason for this is we've seen already Fed taking aggressive action, very hot and heavy action to uh, raise interest rates. And that should be clicking in at this point and we should be seeing results relatively soon as those rapid interest rate increases produce effectively demand destruction and a very substantial demand, demand, demand destruction. And as a result, we should be seeing inflation slowing down. So few possibilities. Um, I personally believe we are approaching we're near the peak rate. Uh, and uh, if Fed continues to do what they're doing, uh, the risk is not that inflation is going to go up much more, but in fact, it, that'll, they'll put the economy into a substantial recession. Hopefully, they will uh, navigate the waters carefully, uh, and that's what they intend. They call it soft lending, but right now, we are still looking at a substantial um, uh, level of inflation, and they can't stop until they see data supporting that they can uh, reverse their policy. So inflation drivers, obviously, COVID created supply chain issues, very easy monetary policy. So Fed has been sleeping at the wheel for too long. They were too concerned about the recession that uh, in, in instead of uh, stopping the easy, very low interest rates um, a lot earlier. They basically uh, sat in their hands, waited, and as a result, very easy monetary policy has continued to support inflation pressure. Uh, very low unemployment, so we are in full employment, and there's a direct relation between the unemployment and inflation. There's an economic concept or a economic concept called Phillips curve, and in a minute we'll see that. So um, with the low unemployment, comes high inflation in general. The government spending, obviously, COVID-related stimulus packages, all the PPP loans, as well as unemployment benefits, a number of other programs that have pumped trillions of dollars of cash into the economy, increasing the M2 money supply substantially. That has certainly uh, been a uh, driver of inflation. Uh, but we do know that the government aggressive spending is coming to an end in essence, or at least it would appear that uh, there's very little or very limited political will to continue to be spending those trillions of dollars when we are past the bulk of the COVID risk. And then U.S. government energy policy has been very inflationary from the point of view that U.S. has uh, chosen not to uh, produce more domestically. As a result, uh, we are dealing with very high energy prices. 
and uh, energy goes into everything, into transportation, into production. And the fact that the energy prices are high, they're driving the prices of everything out there, all the goods and services. That's why we're seeing the inflation partially as a result of the uh, energy policy. So is inflation peaked? It's a really important question. It really depends. Depends on what happens to the drivers of the inflation. For example, supply chain. That drives the supply side of the inflation pressures. Can the supply chain improve well over the upcoming months and uh, reduce the pressures uh, from that perspective? Certainly can, and we hope so it does. On the demand side, we're obviously seeing already weakening demand. Demand destruction is happening with Fed raising interest rates. So inflation in general should be slowing down, peaking pretty soon, in my opinion. We're probably pretty close to the top. And uh, the Fed continues uh, very aggressive action to increase uh, interest rates will uh, show results fairly soon. Let's look at the Phillips curve. So Phillips curve uh, essentially says, it, it paints the relationship between the unemployment and inflation. So generally speaking, when unemployment is high, inflation is low. But when unemployment starts falling and gets very low like it is today, uh, we start seeing pretty high inflation. And this trend has been around for many years. So low unemployment, we are very, very low point, historically low on, on, in many, uh, or, or at least on a relative basis. Uh, and unemployment drives, this very low unemployment has driven uh, or supported high inflation. So Phillips curve is the academic way to, or at least the economic concept that uh, paints the relationship between the two. So let's look at the unemployment rate. Unemployment rate is very low on historic basis. And we've seen the trend since the crisis of 2008 when the unemployment was over 10%. And then um, uh, we went into a long expansion cycle, economic prosperity, and the unemployment continued to fall over many years. And it reached essentially at a very low level where we are now. And then COVID hit, unemployment shot through the roof, went to a very high level, but that um, due to the shutdowns. And after the shutdowns, it rapidly fell as well and continued to climb down. So at this point, we're seeing very low unemployment rate. It's not really clear how fast can it start climbing from here. One of the major problems is that U.S. has not seen a necessary level of legal immigration over the last uh, many years. And the immigration is necessary to support the labor force and to, to provide necessary skilled and unskilled uh, workers uh, to support a growing U.S. economy. And the uh, U.S. has seen essentially baby boomers uh, retiring, uh, labor force participation has been dropping, and without immigration, the unemployment rate is likely to stay pretty low. And uh, the hope is that we can actually bring more folks in the country and support uh, the uh, growing need for more uh, folks that way. But the point here is that we are very low unemployment rate and it's very difficult to see how we could, we uh, reverse the direction uh, unless the, com the, comp the, the country goes into a substantial recession. So uh, in a substantial recession, we may see unemployment uh, peak and that that is a possibility. We'll talk about that uh, as a result of aggressive uh, Fed action. So now let's talk a little bit about the Fed mandate and uh, what they're doing. So Fed has no choice but to push rates up. That's their, it's driven by the dual mandate. One mandate called uh, full employment or very low unemployment. 
uh, at least they're trying to make sure the country has has the full employment. And on the other side, stable prices or low inflation. The inflation is very high right now. And Fed is taking the pressure from both sides. So they've already uh, signaled multiple times. They've started raising interest rates without any fear, with a, with a vengeance, with the aggressive mandate to fight the inflation starting from March. And that's what they've done. They, they, they have two tools in their toolbox. Tool, tool number one, pushing the Fed's fund rate up. And then they, that's what they've been doing, as well as they've indicated that they will be using quantitative tightening. So they've um, uh, been uh, they've started using it, and the quantitative tightening is effectively selling treasuries into a um, an open market. As a, this is an opposite to quant- quantitative easing when they buy treasuries in a market. So when they sell treasuries, they effectively put more bonds out there, and more sales generally drive higher interest rates, so that they can push the rates up that way as well. So let's talk about the rising interest rates and the impact on various types of real estate. We'll start with residential real estate. So residential real estate is very, very sensitive to rising interest rates, especially rapidly rising interest rates from a very low starting point. These fast increases in the the interest rates have um, hurt the demand for properties. Uh, The reason it works this way is most... uh, Folks buy their pro- their their home on uh, on payment. What is the mortgage payment? Can I afford the mortgage payment? If I can afford the more mortgage payment, I'd like to buy this house. And that's been the uh, uh, bread and butter of uh, most of the uh, buying in the United States uh, for their private residence. Folks uh, have a job, they have income, and they want to afford the biggest house they can afford. Well, not everyone, but a lot of folks do that. So ability to afford, ability to pay the mortgage is what um, creates uh, demand. Uh, as interest rates climb, the ability to get mortgages has fallen because the underwriting process by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, and other uh, uh, banks and uh, uh, other agencies like uh, they mentioned, the ones I mentioned, as well as USDA and VA, they all have the underwriting based on uh, debt-to-income ratio. If you can't afford the payments, they won't allow uh, you to take the mortgage. So as interest rates have climbed, the payment factors have gone up and the affordability has fallen substantially. That's basically demand destruction. And uh, cyclical markets are at high risk right now. So Southern California especially, affordability index went from 25%, which is fairly good for Southern California, to 17%, uh, which is a red flag to price corrections in um, a short period of only three months uh, from March, April, and May, that has taken place. Now, let me explain what is affordability index. Affordability index just simply says what percentage of the population can afford an average, averagely priced house. So 25% in Southern California is good, and uh, 17% is already very uh, red flag area. What happens beyond that, typically the market corrects and the prices start falling down. And this is, by the way, is true for other cyclical markets like Phoenix, Las Vegas, and uh, some parts of um, Southern Florida as well, and other markets, probably parts of Texas as well. The reason for this is, again, affordability. If folks cannot afford those houses, the demand 
uh, just folds. They just just can't can't afford. And that is a uh, substantial risk to the residential real estate. Uh, now let's go look at the commercial. So commercial works a little different. So let's talk about cash flows first. So when commercial properties are acquired, typically these are commercial mortgage. And as rates climb on the commercial mortgage, the cash and cash returns, returns on equity fall. Pretty obvious uh, the way it works. So investment cash flows and, and cash flow expectations uh, are impacted by rising interest rates. Returns on equity in general are projected to weaken when the interest rates climb. Uh, and it always starts with a cash flow. So the deal that generated cash and cash, say 6% with rising interest rates may now be generating only 3%. This is pretty basic math uh, and it makes sense. Now the cap rates, they generally supposed to expand or go up with rising interest rates. And the prices move in the opposite direction to the cap rate. So cap rate is just a mathematical way to, exp to express what investors are willing to pay uh, for what kind of yield they need to get if they bought the property for cash. So the property costs $100 million and generates $5 million a year in net operating income without any payments or without any mortgage, just, just as if it was bought for cash. That would be a cap rate of 5%. So as, as interest rates go up, generally speaking, the cap rate should go higher. Uh, in other words, prices are uh, supposed to fall. But it's not happening yet. Why? And we'll talk about that on the next slide. So commercial real estate cap rates have not yet expanded and something really interesting happening um, on that front. Transaction volume in general uh, during rapidly changing market conditions can fall. We've seen rapidly raising, rising interest rates. And as a result, some of the transactions, some bid and asks between the buyers and the sellers have spread widely as the sellers don't wanna give up on the prices they had in mind before. The buyers are not willing to pay what uh, they were prepared to pay in the past when the rates were lower. So that bid and ask can spread. Also, some buyers can retrade, essentially say, well, the rates are up now. I, I, I can't afford the deal anymore. Give me a break. Otherwise, I, I will exit the deal. And some deals get canceled as a, as a result. Now, we'll talk about the cap rates, why they're not rising yet. Some really interesting happens. So the reason a buyers are willing to pay the same prices as before, even though the interest rates have gone up and their cash and cash has fallen, is because many of them expect inflation to continue. And as inflation continues, the uh, ability to increase rents is the uh, counterbalancing factor why they're willing to pay the same prices they were paying before. But let's go back and take a quick look at what happens from residential real estate impact on commercial. So for example, multifamily assets. As renters cannot afford those mortgages, I'm sorry, the buyers cannot afford the houses because the rates have gone up. The affordability has gotten worse. They still need to live somewhere, but they can't afford the house. So what happens? Folks may settle for a nice apartment complex as a, as a rental substitution to a purchase. So the rents uh, typically go up if people cannot afford to buy because the demand increases. It's the classic substitution effect. The other really important point is, again, uh, people need to live somewhere. So food and shelter are the basic goods, and uh, folks are willing to pay for those asset classes that provide uh, that. And multifamily asset is one of those asset classes that does really well. So ability to push rents during uh, an inflation, as well as hedge against uh, recession, is where is the reason some of the cap rates are not expanding yet. On, um, Long-term basis, 
uh, if the rates continue to climb, theoretically speaking, cap rate supposed to expand. But in the short, in the short uh, term, uh, cap rate expansion has not yet taken place. Also, let's talk a little bit about the inverted yield curve. So graph on the right, you could see the inverted yield curve. What it simply means is that uh, in a classic yield curve, normal yield curve, uh, typically uh, the longer duration bonds generate higher um, yields, higher, higher rates. With the inverted yield curve, the longer duration bonds actually generate lower returns uh, than the short duration bonds. And the reason for this is uh, when the, there's expectation of inflation, an expectation of rising short-term rates and falling long-term rates, or at least uh, flat long-term rates, is what the yield curve inverts. So we are seeing the yield curve already inverted. Generally, it is a very clear indicator of an upcoming recession or the fact that recession is already here. So we are seeing most certainly inverted yield curve, and the yield curve is likely going to widen. The inversion is going to widen. And uh, some really interesting happens with the 10-year treasury. It, this is obviously a matter of opinion. In my opinion, uh, it would appear that the 10-year treasury has already peaked at 3.5% and since has um, retreated to below 3% level and is trading uh, at that level now. So why would this happen? Why would a 10-year treasury, which by the way, 10-year treasury drives a lot of mortgage pricing. So mortgages are tied to 10-year treasury uh, and the fact that uh, it is possible, probable that the 10-year treasury uh, has stabilized uh, is actually very good news for mortgages. That uh, the rates should, the mortgages should not go up the uh, that much, at least on the long duration 30-year uh, mortgage rates. And the, the reason that it stabilized is because 10-year treasury is supposed to be a long-term expectation of inflation. So what this is signaling to is that inflation has peaked and probably going to start coming down sooner rather than later. That's what at least the treasury market is telling us. And it's a very, very large market. It has the wisdom of uh, many, many investors. So that's what the way I read this data. The short duration rates can continue to climb further and fast, uh, pushed by uh, Fed's fund rate increases. And we may see a two-year bond well above 5%, where while a 10-year treasury may hover around 3%. And that's a classic inverted yield curve. Um, and um, also another reason why cap rates haven't yet gone up that fast is that the rapidly changing market conditions, rapidly changing rates, typically need time for the market to adjust. And that hasn't yet happened. So uh, we are a little bit more into a dynamic environment. But over time, as we see stabilization in 10-year uh, treasury and mortgage rates, we may see uh, stabilization in the uh, cap rates and uh, probably limited expansion, if any, if the long-term mortgage rates stabilize where, uh, where they are um, now or, or maybe slightly higher. So recession is already here, most likely. That's at least I believe so. And the future isn't certain. The future is clouded. What kind of recession are we going to have? Um, and a lot depends on the Federal Reserve action. So they're talking about soft landing, um, but we'll see. They will often overshoot. So let's, again, cover first point. Uh, we had negative Q1 GDP, and the Q2 is projected to be a negative print between somewhere in one5 and 2% range. I've seen estimates. 
In some cases, even over 2%, some cases below 1.5%, but that range is probably a pretty good estimate on where the Q2 print will be. But I will show if this estimate is right. Um, and then the Fed is known to overshoot, and uh, they're slow to start, and they're usually slow to stop. So they're likely to overshoot this time around as well. And that may put the economy in a severe recession. It may, we don't know that. Uh, I certainly hope, and I, I certainly, in my view, I, I think we, we, we're we not gonna get into a severe recession for multiple reasons, but it's a possibility. So we, we, we gotta be prepared. Uh, and if you are in the investing business, you certainly need to prepare for all kinds of outcomes, including severe outcomes. So we'll talk about that. But the Fed ha cannot stop raising interest rates until they see data, substantially improved uh, inflation rate. We are in the eight to nine percent range. We're even above nine percent right now. The rate needs to come back down and stabilize somewhere at a well below print than eight percent, somewhere in the say four to six percent range. And we'll talk about that. Then they may take the uh, the foot off the uh, the the gas pedal and, and slow down or stop raising interest rates and potentially prepare to start easing, even lowering the rate. Uh, if the recession becomes severe or they see signs of a substantial recession. Also, unemployment numbers must show um, changes and uh, unemployment rate needs to go up uh, as Fed uh, mandate is full employment. Uh, so if the unemployment figures continue to increase, then the Fed may say, wait a minute, we've got to pause. And until that happens, they are still very motivated and they are mandated to continue to increase interest rates. So this may be a strange recession. Uh, what I mean by, by saying strange recession is that the unemployment rate might not go up where it goes uh, uh, to, to the levels of a typical recession. So the typical recession unemployment rate can go over 6%, 6.5%, even higher. Uh, but in a mild recession, which I believe we're going to see, uh, time will show, but if that takes place, that takes place, the unemployment rate is unlikely to shoot up to, to that level. We still have very substantial demand, a lot of open positions, and just not enough folks looking for jobs. So that, and the fact that we have uh, not enough um, legal employment, it's probably going to create uh, pressure for the uh, unemployment rate to stay uh, relatively low. Obviously, it'll get higher from where it is today, but it may not go up as much as... Um, and during a typical recession. And the recession might be short-lived and not severe. Again, this is the discussion of uh, soft lending. So Fed is pushing the rates up hot and heavy now, uh, but once they start seeing data that the inflation is slowing down, uh, they may take the opportunity and uh, reset their standard. Now, this is something different that they've talked about over many years. The inflation target, the stable price, target is two to three percent. I have a theory that uh, this time around they may uh, settle for four to six percent range and uh, call it a day simply because um, they don't want to put the economy in a severe recession. So they'll continue to push interest rates until they start seeing the data that the inflation is now in that four to six percent range, which is not as bad as the eight to nine or above. 
And when that happens, then we realize if we keep pushing the, the gas pedal uh, with high interest rates, that may really hurt the economy. So if they start, uh, if they stop uh, or slow down at the four to six percent range, that may be the soft lending that they're looking for. Again, this is my opinion. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be right, but it's something to um, look out for and um, pay attention. And once they reverse course and they start uh, loosening again, that point uh, will hopefully be uh, on the way out of a recession, whatever recession we may see. So that's something to keep in mind. This 4 to 6% range is, in my view, where they're going to start slowing down. What are the best opportunities uh, during high inflation and uh, combination of a recession, which is a stagflation environment? In my opinion, now we're going to talk about here just some of these concepts are just good for any market, but certainly uh, they're good for uh, inflationary markets and a market where there could be some level of recession. Uh, Non-cyclical markets and value-add projects with steady uh, rent growth type of uh, initiatives, especially in the multifamily arena. Now, I'd stay away today from the cyclical markets for the reasons that um, they just too much risk in those markets. Uh, so I would stay away from Phoenix, Las Vegas, Southern California, and similar. Uh, but certainly love Midwest. Value-add projects in those markets appear to be a lot more predictable, a lot more steady eddy, and um, the inflation will support rent increases in those markets in a lot more predictable manner versus some of the other markets that I mentioned that are more cyclical. Also, what I really like, is investing in a value-add projects that create uh, forced appreciation through strong execution of the operator. Why it's important? Well, this, wor- this works in any market, up market, down market. Investing in these type of projects have builds equity cushion, builds safety, and these type of initiatives in the right type of markets could produce uh, great long-term uh, returns with a degree of safety, basically downside protection during a recession as well as upside through the ability to increase rents uh, above historic uh, low averages of 2 to 3%. Inflationary uh, markets could support rent increases in still high single digits into double digit uh, rate environment driven by rent inflation. And looking for also the deals with the great long-term fundamental values. So real estate that is fundamentally strong uh, continues to be uh, where the capital should flow. And uh, following the Warren Buffett's philosophy, I would rather fit pay a fair price for a great asset than a great price for a fair asset. So these fundamental investing principles continue to uh, be uh, out there, even during a stagflation environment. So here's some examples. Um, again, uh, hedge against inflation are the asset classes that typically allow for fairly quick increases in rent with the inflationary pressures. So multifamily in general continues to support rent increases on an annual basis uh, and provides a very steady um, asset class and uh, especially B-class multifamily, just to be more exact. Not the C's, not the D's, obviously. And then the A's are interesting. So the A-class multifamily is something that is not as attractive for the reason that during the rising interest rate environment, A's lose all the cash flow. When they have no cash flow, you're investing purely for growth. Again, that is a decent approach as long as you can live without the cash flows. 
The Bs may still offer some level of cash flow, while the Cs and Ds present too much risk. If that employment hits, they, they, the Cs and Ds typically get hit very hard and they're a lot more difficult to manage. Self-storage is an example. Also, is a good hedge against inflation, and storage generally does fairly well during recessionary environments. It's one of these asset classes that is a classic asset class to do well during recession, as well as uh, inflation where uh, the rents could be increased on a monthly basis. But what I like more are diversified funds. The reason diversified funds generally do better is because they spread the risk. They, they um, uh, produce often uh, benefits of inflation hedges uh, as long as the portfolio of the funds is composed of the assets that provide good hedge against inflation as well as downside protection. So well-diversified funds that have these type of characteristics become good candidates to consider to deploy the capital into during an, a, a stagflation environment. And selfishly, obviously, our family of funds, we believe is a good asset class or, or, or vehicle to participate in these strategies of hedges against inflation and recession at the same time, depending on the fund and the strategy, obviously things vary a little bit. Uh, but our Temple Growth Fund 2, for example, our uh, flagship growth fund, takes advantage of the value-add investments and, and uh, many strategies that uh, provide good hedge against inflation. So we like that, uh, as well as the fourth appreciation. And then on the um, Temple Opportunity Fund, that's probably the diversified fund uh, that has uh, wide protection mechanisms against a recessionary environment as well as inflation hedges. So both Temple Growth and Temple Opportunity uh, are strong funds for uh, stagflationary environment, in my opinion. And then uh, Temple Income Fund is a strong income fund, and uh, it um, uh, provides uh, ability to generate predictable income with good downside protection. Uh, and uh, so that's the family of funds. Obviously, request the private placement memorandum to create investors only, uh, consult with your attorney and CPA professional, understand all the risks. All these investments, all these funds have a degree of risk, obviously, and um, consult with your professional. If you're interested, please request uh, those documents. Reach out to Alina. Um, she's our head of investor relations. She's wonderful at chatting with you about these things. She will be delighted to speak with you and understand your uh, needs and um, be happy to provide you with the information on our family of funds. Appreciate your time and attention. Look forward to further discussions um, and um, hope you enjoy the uh, rest of the day and um, have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to bigmikefund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike Slotnick. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.